Our loving Father, we are grateful that today you have blessed us again with the gift of life, health, and strength. And on this, your holy Sabbath day of rest, we know that fresh bread was brought into the sanctuary. And Lord, we just pray that you will give us a fresh experience in your word as we meditate upon it this morning. We know this can't happen by mere human might or power, so we're asking for this to be done by your spirit. May he truly minister to each of our minds. And Lord, while you bless my brothers and sisters, I am asking that you please do not pass me by. Grant me a fresh revelation of Jesus, even as I seek to articulate him and his love and his example to each and every one of us. May we all leave here higher upon Jacob's ladder as a result of your words being heard today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a very um, important text of scripture that the Lord brought to my mind as we are considering this journey of what we studied yesterday. We saw yesterday that we are living in a very serious time. Um, it's a time where it requires strength, it requires courage, it requires focus, and it requires especially the love of Jesus. And when we see that everything is leading to this ultimate crisis that is going to take the majority of the people in the world and in the church as an overwhelming surprise, those of us who are cognizant, who understand what God is doing and his movements, he wants us to avail ourselves that we might know how to stand true to God during this final phase of the investigative judgment and how to show others how to do it. You see, when we go to these places, when I was in the hospital last year and, uh, you know, I'm in the cardiac care unit and they would come to me and say, Mr. Lemon, you know, it's time to walk. And when you just finish having heart surgery, you don't really feel like walking. And I remember when they said, Mr. Lemon, it's time to walk. I said, all right, well, let's walk. And we started walking. And I looked in every room that I passed by. And I would see people who were young, younger than me. I'm 45. But, you know, I saw people there in their 20s. I saw individuals who were older than me. And when you walk past those rooms, I don't know how you can walk past those rooms and see those people not walking with you but laid out in those beds, and your heart begins to leap out towards them. You begin to have a deep compassion that you say, oh, Lord, if I could only be used in your hands that I could do something to help them. And so here it is. They told me, they said, Mr. Lemon, you're the healthiest person in our whole unit. You're doing great, and et cetera. And I'm thankful for that. I, I mean, I really am. You know, it's imperative that we understand that today you're healthy, but tomorrow something might show up that you were not even expecting. And this is why today, if you hear God's voice, you need to harden not your heart. And so it is that as I look back at all of that and I, and I reflect of how many people are in need, they need our help. And how much the more when we see the great plan of Satan of by which he's going to seek to steal people's hearts away from Jesus forever. It should move the child of God's heart to say, Lord, whatever sphere of influence that you can give me. Please help me to use it for your name's honor and glory and for the strength and betterment of my fellow man. But in our work, we have to remember this very important principle. The Bible says, but without what? Without faith, it is what? Impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. In every work that we do, whether we sing, whether we preach, whether we serve, God says, if it is done by any other motive except faith, which works by love, it will profit us nothing. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Now, notice that there are two words in the verse that are actually synonymous. It's kind of almost a parallelism. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe. You understand that? He must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I began to look up the word believe according to the Greek. And when I looked up the word believe, it says, yes, to have faith. But I like that bottom point. It says to what? To trust. To have true faith in God is to truly trust God. You understand that? Because a lot of us believe in God, but very few of us trust God. 
And if we don't trust God, no matter what we do for God, God will not be pleased. Because without trust, it is impossible to please him. And so one of the first things that I want to ask you is that when you do the work that you do, when you wake up every morning and you have prayer or whatever it is that you do, the question is, do you trust the God whom you pray to? Do you really trust him? Now, the reason why I say this is because one day Jesus gathered together a group of medical missionaries. Let's notice how the Bible shows us this story. It is found in Matthew 10 and verse 1. The Bible says, and when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them something special. What did he give them? He gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now, I want you to notice that the disciples were empowered by Christ. Oh, I think this is a very good point to consider. How many disciples were empowered, according to the verse? All 12 of them. Question, how many of those disciples were medical professionals? None of them. But how many of them had power to heal all manner of, of sickness and all manner of disease? So with the first lesson we need to understand is that you do not have to be a medical professional to be a medical missionary. Can you say amen to that? Amen. So that's very important for us to remember. We are not medical missionaries by default simply because we are medical professionals. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. Now, obviously, I believe that those of us who are medical professionals, you should be the greatest examples of what it is to be a medical missionary. To help those of us lay people understand these various principles of health, etc. Continuing. Jesus gave these 12 disciples power, and they had power not only to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease, but also power against unclean spirits to cast them out. They had power to do that. But yet, what does the Bible say? The Bible goes on to tell us a story. It tells us a story about a father who had a son who was possessed by a demon. And when the father's son had unclean spirits, here it is that the father, of course, brings his child to the disciples. When he brought his child to the disciples, the disciples could not heal them. I like what the disciples did. We as medical practitioners, medical missionaries, we should consider this story very well. After they failed, I want you to watch this. After they failed, in other words, the man came to them with an expectation the same way people come to many of you with expectations. I told you yesterday, it is very rare that a sick person comes to be treated. A sick person comes to be healed. That's what they're believing in their minds when they talk to the medical professional. They believe you got some way of knowledge, power, wisdom, or something, some technique that you're going to heal them. That's what they're expecting. Well, here it is that this man came with the same expectation. You've been given power. I'm expecting you to heal my son. They were not successful in their work. But I love what they did, and I would like to encourage us to consider this. It says, then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, why is it that we could not cast that demon out? You see, it is very easy when somebody comes to us with stage four cancer and they have, you know, obviously it's, it's, it's metastasized all over their system. And some of us are already convincing ourselves sometimes on how we even approach the work. This person is more than likely not going to make it. You know, some of us might have that kind of attitude. And here it is that we try to help them with the modalities you've been trained in. Well, you do that and then it doesn't work. The person ends up going down even further and it looks like they're going to die. When they die, many a times we just say, well, the Lord's will was done. Oh, well, must have just been what God wanted. My brothers and sisters, could it be that there are people that come in our path that were seeking healing and could have been healed if we did not have the problem that the disciples had. You see, when the disciples came with that question, I love that question, every medical practitioner in this room, when you lose a patient or when you try to help somebody and it just goes backwards, instead of just kind of saying, oh, well, and moving on to the next patient, I wish that we would at least take a second to say, Lord, why is it that I couldn't help that person? 
And God may respond back to some of us like he responded back to the disciples. What did Jesus say to those disciples when they asked that very, very telltale question? It says, and Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief. Can you imagine that? You see, in the beginning, he gave them power. The power was present to heal. But the problem was with the disciples. The disciples did not believe fully and trust fully and complied fully with the requirements of Jesus. And as a result of that, it limited their ability to help others. My brothers and sisters, the first thing we need to understand, our greatest need in gospel, medical, missionary, evangelistic work is you need to make sure that you trust the one whom you're representing. Now, in trusting God, we must understand a powerful parallel about believing or trusting God. To believe God, yea, to trust God is spelled out like this. In John 5 and verse 38, the Bible says, And ye have not his word abiding in you, for whom he hath sent, him ye believe not. Now, did these people not believe in him? Is that that what the verse is telling us? Did the people not believe in him? But notice why. It says, And ye have not his what? His word abiding in you. You see, they didn't believe the word, and therefore they did not believe him. We need to understand that true faith in God, true trust in God, is trust in his word. Do you get that, family? I'm trying to keep it very simple. I've been praying a lot about this. To trust God is to trust his word. You ever met somebody that says, oh, I trust God, and then you show them the word, and they say, oh, I don't accept that. You know that we have the authority under the word of God to say you are a liar. He who says he knows God and keeps not his words, his commandments, is a liar, 1 John tells us. And so we have to understand that sometimes if we're not careful, we might deceive even ourselves. Because we say we trust God because you went on a mission trip somewhere where it was dangerous. And therefore we say, well, I, see, I demonstrated I trust God. My brothers and sisters, that, that's not necessarily the criterion. Jesus is not asking you to fly thousands of miles into some jungle where there's a bunch of killer snakes and a bunch of killer natives. And because you went there and came back safe, now we say, see, I proved I trust God. It's a lot more simple than that. Those who really trust God are those who abide in his word. They do whatever God says. God said it. That ends it. I believe it. I accept it. It is truth, regardless of whatever even my eyes see. Please understand what I'm saying to you. We got to get to a place if we're really going to call ourselves gospel, medical, missionary evangelists, we have to get to a place, family, that we start understanding if you really are a medical missionary, then you need to understand that you need to trust God. And in trusting God, that means you trust his words. Jesus gave us a second witness. It was in the same book and same chapter. It's right there in John 5, 46. He says, for had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. They didn't believe the writings, so they could not believe the revelation. I think that's worthy to repeat. They did not believe the writings, therefore they could not believe the revelation. The revelation was right in front of them, of all the writings. And all Jesus was doing was exposing you never even believed in the writings because now here I am right in front of your face. I am the living movement of the prophecy. And it's just showing all along you didn't really believe in the first place. If we are going to be instruments in God's hands to be his solution in a very serious and troublesome time, then we need to understand that I have to ask myself, do I really trust God? And to really trust God is to trust his word. Wait a minute. 
Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is worthy to consider. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And then how does the verse close? And lean not unto thine own understanding. In all your ways, do what? Acknowledge him. And what will he do? He shall direct our paths. So true trust in God is true trust in his word and total relinquishing of trust in man. Are you following? Is it still simple? True trust in God is trust in his word, which means we relinquish all trust in man, which includes yourself. That's true trust in God. And without this, no matter what we do, we cannot please God. Do you understand that? Amen. I think we're ready now for our study. Let's recap. Yesterday, we went through a whole lot of current events. We watched all sorts of events taking place. We watched the trend of prophecy. We saw that according to the prophetic chart, we are heading towards a very final crisis, a time of religious aggression, a time where everything is being set up right now to dumb down and eliminate the various freedoms we have in constitution and amendments. And all of these things are going to ultimately disappear to play the role to bring first beast, second beast as persecutors to the people of God. We saw that as a result of this religious aggression of Revelation 13, that's going to come to the people of this world. You see, when I look at a person on an elevator, when I look at a person down the streets, I look at individuals that are opportunities to receive the word of God. And when they receive that word, I am thankful that I could be an instrument in God's hand to give a message of love, hope and warning. And let them know that a time is getting ready to come where the devil's going to try to steal away every opportunity for you to get to know Jesus. And by God's grace, I'm going to make sure that does not happen. You see, go to the book of Ezekiel 18. We have to understand this, family. Ezekiel, the 18th chapter. In Ezekiel, the 18th chapter, we see something here that the Bible says. And I want you to watch it very carefully. Ezekiel, we're looking at chapter 18. And I want you to watch what the Bible says as we consider... Leviticus 18, and we're going to go ahead and start at verse 20 and take it down a few verses. When you get there, just let me know by saying amen. Amen. All right, we're in Ezekiel, the 18th chapter. The Bible says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. I like that first word, but... Ezekiel says, but pay attention now to this next point. But if the wicked will turn from all his sins that he hath committed and keep all my statutes and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. But then it says in verse 22, all his transgression that he hath committed, they shall not be mentioned unto him in his righteousness that he hath done. He shall live. So God is making it clear that everyone is going to be held accountable for the position in which they hold. No one can be saved off of someone else's bootstraps or someone else's religion. This is very clear. Those who sin, they shall die. Those who live righteously, they shall receive reward. But then I want you to now transition over to Ezekiel 33. And when you look at Ezekiel 33, same book, same chapter, of same book and same messenger, Ezekiel 33 brings out a point that we would do well to consider. In Ezekiel 33, notice what the Bible says as we consider verses 1 to 9. Because it's a few verses, let's go ahead and do that interchanging reading. So I'll read verse 1, you do too, and we'll take it down to verse 9. It says, again, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying... If when he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people. (laughs) 
He heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning. His blood shall be upon him, but he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. Verse 9 together. Nevertheless... If thou warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he do not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. You see, it is true that God holds every individual accountable to their own decision, but God also understands that I have raised up watchmen. I have imparted my light to people, and the purpose of light is to illuminate It is to go ahead and let it shine and touch those that are around us. And if we understand the religious aggression that's getting ready to come, if we understand all the ramifications that will take place if an individual is unprepared for this time, then God says if we know that and then we don't give the warning and help others see whom Christ their refuge is, God says, yes, those people will die in their sins But God says, but I'll hold you accountable and you will end up in the same condition as them. This becomes something that helps me understand, Lord, I have a responsibility. Family, you have a responsibility that we must use every means of influence, every means of human interaction and communication as an opportunity to articulate God's end time truth, end time message to prepare a people to meet their God. Just because you're a dentist does not mean that you are somehow, you know, null and void of this counsel. Just because you're a dermatologist, just because you're a surgeon or whatever it is. All of these avenues are means to give us access to people that we can be like Jesus and do faithful gospel medical missionary work in bringing them to him. Now watch this. Yesterday we learned in our little study, as religious aggression subverts the liberties of our nation, those who, the liberties of our nation, those who stand for freedom of conscience will be placed in what? Not going to be able to buy or sell. People are going to start going through all sorts of trials, persecutions, little snapshots of what we're seeing right now taking place. If an individual even stands for God and principles of truth nowadays, people are ending up in court nowadays, a lot more than usual. If a man decides that God gave him a gift to make cakes, he says, I want to start a business. I want to bless people and make good cakes. Maybe he wants to make good vegan cakes. And then here it is. He wants to make a nice cake, you know, just good health reform cake. Anybody can eat it without conviction. And here it is that he makes those cakes, makes a nice business. People come in. Boy, we love your cakes. They're so healthy. They're so good. They minister to my body. And then one day, two gentlemen walk in and say to that baker, we would like a cake. It's for our up and coming wedding. Two women walk in and they say, we would like a cake. It's for our up and coming wedding. We want you to put a nice wedding cake together and put two men right on the top of it. Two women right on the top of it. That person says, well, according to my religious belief, I I cannot make such a cake because it would violate my conscience. Do you know how many people are in court now as a result of these type of scenarios that are very, very real? The more and still more that America demises and goes down away from God's principles... The two horns, brothers and sisters, are disappearing fast and furious. And the voice of the dragon, he's clearing his throat and getting ready to exercise its will through law. And those who are going to stand for freedom of conscience, those who are going to stand for religious liberties, they're going to be put in unfavorable positions. 
Individuals who want to continue to get their medical care, I don't know if you're aware of this. This is super simple. You do understand that if we don't get, how many in this room want the mark of the beast? Okay, silly question, right? Of course not. Well, here's the thing. If you do understand that if an individual does not get the mark of the beast, you do understand that that means that Aetna, Cigna, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, and the rest of the medical coverages go out the window. So how are they going to take care of themselves? They're going to have to get on God's plan. And you know what's so deep about that? That's so elementary, isn't it? Isn't that ABC elementary? If we're really going to be faithful to God, a time is going to come that our access to the medicine that people now have free access to is not going to be there anymore. So don't you think that God should have a plan that people can know how to address their pain, their ailments, their sicknesses and diseases and all these different things? Should not God have a plan that is prepared for that? And should not God's medical missionaries be the ones in the forefront presenting that plan to everybody else? That just makes sense, doesn't it? That's why we're told in the remainder of the quote, for their own sake, they should, while they have opportunity, become intelligent in regard to disease. What else? Causes. What else? Prevention. And what else? Cure. This is part of God's solution. The religious aggression is coming. Therefore, I want my people to understand disease is causes, prevention and cure. Why? Because we're told very clearly all those who do this will find a field of labor anywhere. There will be suffering ones, plenty of them who will need help, not only among those of our own faith, but largely among those who know not the truth. The shortness of time demands an energy that has not been aroused among those who claim to believe the present truth. So God says this is what we should be focusing on. Now, let's dig a little bit deeper on some of these points. I had this slide up earlier, but we kind of covered this special point, so I don't need to go over that. What I was simply showing is that, you know, all of the disciples were medical missionaries, therefore all of God's people should be medical missionaries, medical professional or not. We all should know it. Now, here's the thing. Going a little bit further, let's talk about the focus in medical missionary work. Who do you believe is the master medical missionary? Would you agree that Jesus is the master medical missionary? Do we need to study that deeply or, or, or do, we, do we get that? I would, I would assume at Amen Conference we get that. All right? Jesus is the master medical missionary. You want to know what it is to be a medical missionary? Look to Jesus. Okay. So knowing this... Let's look at the focus of Jesus when he did his medical missionary work. I think that's worthy to consider. Notice what the Bible says. Matthew 1, 21. And she shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall do what? Save his people from their sins. So the work of Christ in all that he did was ultimately to save people from their sins. Again, second witness. John 12 and verse 47. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Again, another witness. Matthew 9, verse 6. A healing work. Notice this and look at the verse carefully. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, arise, take up thy bed and go unto thine house. Why did Jesus heal the man from his physical issue according to the verse? That people will what? That people will know that he has power on earth to forgive sins. You see, even his healing work was a means to an end. Jesus, as I said yesterday, was not just simply trying to help sick sinners become healthy, vibrant, strong sinners. He wanted sick sinners to be made whole that they might receive him. Therefore, what should be the focus of the medical missionary? Very simply put, notice what it says. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So that is our work. We are seeking to save that which was lost. And in order to do that, we must understand the work of the true medical missionary is largely a spiritual work, which means you must be a spiritual people. You see, often, if we're not careful, we will allow certain things to derail us. Let me give you an example. I praise the Lord, and I, I really mean it. I'm not saying that in some type of passive, careless way. I truly praise God for the testimony 
my brother gave yesterday when he talked about the health clinics and how you know, you're able to go there and do a great work, free, disinterested service, and help these precious souls overcome their pain, overcome their, their challenges, not being able to see properly, and now they get glasses for the first. I mean, those, those are stories that heaven only can calculate faithfully. They're going to be told throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity of how Christ worked through many of your hands of why a lot of people have made it into the kingdom through that instrumentality. So I am not here to knock that in any stretch, but I want us to understand, let's reach just a bit higher. It is good to come to a place and do a medical work and then get the leads and then say, hey, church, take over. And now the church handles all the spiritual. According to the Bible, we are all called to be medical missionaries, meaning we have to know not only proper medical practice in the manner of Christ, but we have to know how to tell somebody what they must do to be saved. Do you understand that? Because if we're not careful, we will allow the health clinic to become a crutch to the responsibility God has placed on you personally. Do you understand that? If we're not careful, we'll start just do, doing our little medical work and then pass it on to somebody else to go ahead and do all the spiritual stuff. You are to do the spiritual. God wants you to understand that if you're a medical missionary, then you must understand it's largely a spiritual work. You must be a spiritual people. We must be converted. We must have the presence of God's spirit. We must deeply understand the Bible if you're a pastor. If you're a gospel worker, you are supposed to know medical work. You're supposed to understand how to help people be relieved from their suffering. You're not supposed to just preach the word, preach the word, and then pass them on to a medical practitioner. We use these terms medical missionary, but it seems like a lot of times we don't understand. It's an individual calling, not just merely a collective all of God's disciples had power to cure sicknesses and diseases. All the disciples, and none of them, were medical professionals. So if you're a pastor in this room, and you've gone through the schools and you got your MDiv, congratulations, but you need more training. Listen, do you believe the word? Do you trust the word? Do you trust your own opinion? My brothers and sisters, it's simple. God wants the combining of the work. It's the combining of the work. That's where the power is. Now watch this. I'm going a little further. This is, this is a great class. Look at this. Reflecting Christ, page 230, paragraph 2. Those who labor as Christ, the great medical missionary, labored must be what? Spiritual-minded. It says, but not all who are doing medical missionary work are exalting God and his truth. Not all are submitting to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. This is a problem, family. You see, when I look at Jesus and his... I, I, you know my prayer every day. Lord, help me to be more like you. Think that's a good prayer? That's my prayer. That is my mission. Every chance I get, I just keep talking about it. When my wife and I are on the phone and I'm talking, I'm like, honey, you know, I'm looking at the character of Christ. And I told, you know, I was telling her the other day, I said, honey, did you know that Jesus had a perfect hatred for sin? Jesus had two perfections, a perfect hatred for sin and a perfect love for righteousness. You read that in Hebrews 1, 8 and 9. It literally is, a, it, it's literally a, a super succinct description of what it is to be like Jesus. It says he loved righteousness and he hated iniquity. My brothers and sisters, if we could learn the depth of those two principles, we'll be a lot closer to reflecting that lovely image. You see, why do you help people who are sick? Because you hate iniquity. You know why? Because it's iniquity that makes people sick. You understand that? That's what motivates you to say, oh, Lord, how can I help them? You hate iniquity. But when people begin to compromise truth, when people begin to live foul standard, that is when we must love righteousness so much that we say, even though this might cause some discomfort, maybe it might cause a possibility of embarrassment, I have to tell you the truth. This is God's standard of righteousness, and the Lord expects us to live up to this. We've got to love righteousness. We've got to hate iniquity. But that can't happen if we're not 
spiritually minded. So I'm studying the character of Christ. And as I'm studying the character of Christ, I believe that I found a good summation of what it really is to be a medical missionary. Watch this. In our textbook, Ministry of Healing, if you've never read that book, I would encourage you, please let this be your first line. If you have not gone, to, I'm, talking, I'm not talking about perusing, I'm talking about cover to cover, go through the book Ministry of Healing. It literally reveals the very wisdom of God. Now, look at this statement. Our Lord Jesus Christ came to this world as the unwearied servant of man's what? Necessity. He took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses that he might minister to every need of humanity. Then it says, look at the three things Jesus came to remove. The burden of what? Disease. What else? Wretchedness and sin. He came to? This is, this is medical mission. This, this is the master medical missionary demonstrating himself before us. He came to remove the burden of disease, wretchedness, and sin. It was his mission to bring men to what kind of restoration? Complete restoration. That's why Jesus would say, behold, thou art made half. Behold, thou art made whole. Complete restoration. Then it says, how did he bring them to complete restoration? He came to give them three things. What was it? Health, peace, perfection of character. Do you know that's your mission? This, this is medical missionary work, if I may say, on steroids. This, this, is, this is the focus in our gospel medical missionary evangelistic work. We are called by God to meet the needs of humanity, that mankind might be brought to complete restoration, that the burden of disease, wretchedness, and sin will be removed by replacing it with health. Isn't that the opposite of disease? In other words, in the quote, you're seeing the threefold problem and the threefold parallel solution. The problem, disease, what does God give in replace of it? Health. The problem, wretchedness, what does God give in replace of it? Peace. The problem, sin, what does God give in reference to it? Perfection of character. That's your mission. That's your mission. That's probably going to take a little bit more deeper devotion in the morning than just a one-pager. That means we're probably going to have to really know how it is to get on our knees and labor before God, see our wretchedness, our sinfulness, and cry out to him, Lord, give me your spirit. Help me that I might be like you. The world doesn't need another Dwayne Lemon. I guarantee you that. I really mean it. I really, I've gotten to a place that I can praise God for what took place with my heart. Because God opened my eyes to help me see the defects in my character like I've never seen it before. And I said, thank you, Jesus. Because God said, I love you too much, son, to let you be lost. God says, I need to save you, but there's some things about yourself you don't see. And so God allowed. He didn't ordain it, but he allowed that whole crisis to play out. I prayed for healing like most of you would have. And God says, nope, because if you got miraculous healing, you would have missed all the eternal lessons. And I get it, brothers and sisters. I mean, now I'll say this. I'm at least a little bit more convinced that I really am wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. The question is, are you convinced? And so Christ says, I have, this is what I came to give. I came to give this to humanity. So when you think about medical missionary work, we have to understand it in the context of what we're reading. I am going to encourage you, go to Ministry of Healing. Read that page 17 on your knees, prayerfully. Say, Lord, help me to get what this is saying. Because this is what I'm called to do as a dentist. This is what I'm called to do as a dermatologist. This is what I'm called to do as a cardiologist. This is what I'm called to do as an MD, as a nurse, as a, you fill in the blank. God says, that's what I'm calling you to do. This is the great work. Now, you'll remember, it says, seeing the religious aggression coming, the four things people need to understand is disease, its causes, prevention, Cure. As we get a clearer picture of what God is seeking to accomplish in our hearts to help us to be in harmony and in line with him. Now we can go ahead and study out these things and become educators. When you read Ministry of Healing, page 125, for those note takers, write that down. In Ministry of Healing, 
125, it says, the very first sentence, it says, the physician is to be an educator. That's what you are. You're educators. But if you have not received the true education, then you can't give it. Because the Bible says as much as you have received, we are to give. You can't give what you haven't received. If you have not received the true education, then you can't impart it to somebody else. So some of us, while we're educators, we have to be humble enough, even with six and yay, seven-figure incomes, we have to be humble enough to be students. Is that okay? You might even have to sit down under fishermen and learn from them. You okay with that? You're probably going to sit under people that don't have any letters behind their name except L-E-M-O-N. Or some other last name. Fishermen, ignorant people who don't have even a degree. But yet God can say, I can still put my spirit in them and use them to go ahead and teach other people. It's okay. It was fishermen that Christ used before. He used educated men, too. Paul was an educated man. God used him mightily. You're a bunch of educated people. God will use you mightily. You don't understand, family. With the education many of you have received in this room, all those years, if it's consecrated before the Lord, and if you do it the way God told you to do it, brothers and sisters, you could literally, potentially, see the work finished in this generation. If we could just get it fixed in our minds, I got to take a step back that I can go a step forward. If we can get that, you'd be amazed at what God can accomplish through you. Disease. When we look at the subject of disease, we can go ahead with a nice little statement, straight dictionary uh, explanation. Any impairment of normal physiological or psychological function affecting all or part of an organism. Disease, an impairment of normal physiological or psychological function affecting all or even part of an organism. We're told to help people understand disease. This explanation is okay, but it can go a lot deeper. But I'm going to save the deeper point for later. Let's talk about the cause. When we think of the cause of disease, we would do well to consider it. Today, we live in a world where there's more and more diseases that are popping up and less and less understanding of causes. You know, you can go to reputable organizations like the Mayo Clinic, and they can put up everything from colorectal cancer all the way down to, you know, uh, lymphomas. And, you know, the list just goes on. And many a times, they will put right there in some of their top sentences, there is no known cause. We don't understand the cause of this. We know risk factors, but we don't know causes. But I want you to take a look at what the Bible says, because what a lot of people don't understand is, can you imagine you go through all these years of medical school and some of us have never studied the medical book? Can you imagine that? Did you know that this is the best medical book in the world? I'm, I'm doing a study right now. It's going to be printed. And I am showing that the things that McDougal, Esselstein, Campbell, and the rest of these great names that we talk about today, and all these fantastic findings that have made them millionaires and made them very popular, did you know those things was found right here in the Bible? Man's getting a ton of credit, but God still seems to be hanging in the back seat. The Bible is the best medical book in the world. The problem is a lot of us don't look at it as a medical book, but it is. You see, the Bible shows us some things here. Look at this. Beautiful principle. You know the book of Proverbs, a book filled with various wisdom keys, and here's one of them. The Bible says, as the bird by wandering and as the swallow by flying, so the curse, what's the next word? Causeless shall not come. Okay, is it natural for a bird to wander? Is that normal? Is that natural? For a bird to wander, fly from place to place? Yes. Is it natural for a swallow to fly? Yes. Then the Bible says, so it is, that a curse never comes without a cause. Now, the reason why this becomes important is because if you study carefully Deuteronomy, the 28th chapter, there are curses and blessings in that chapter. In chapter 28, verses 1 to 14, there are blessings. But from verse 15 to about 66, there are curses. 
We're in verse 22. So are we in curses or blessings? We're in curses. But it's interesting. What God in his word referred to as a curse is in fact what we call today diseases. And notice, consumption was in verse 22. Today we connect those things to things like tuberculosis or emphysema. Then you have, of course, the fever. Well, that's a no-brainer. That's not hard to figure out. The fever is listed in the Bible. It's called a curse. But today we understand when people start getting those chills and shivering fits, temperature goes up, we call that a fever, but the Bible called it a curse. Then you have the inflammation. Can you imagine that? That's a precursor to cancer. When you think about your arthritis, bronchitis, laryngitis, and all the other itises, that's dealing with inflammation. Is that right? Medical professional, is that right? Okay, so, you know, so here's the point. These things are called curses in the Bible. But today we would call them more intelligently or more moderate, you know, in a modern manner, we'll call them diseases. Here it is, the botch, verse 27. Things like chickenpox, hives, emrods, things like hemorrhoids and tumors, the, and can, various cancers, smiting in the knees and the legs. We would list that as things like osteoarthritis and polio. The point is very simple. There's enough medical science out today by various universities. If you need to see one, I'll show you it after the meeting. That they make it very clear that these things that we're seeing were actually afflictions that fell upon the Egyptians. So when God made the promise, none of these diseases which have fallen on the Egyptians will fall on you if you do what I say, we can understand it to be a lot of those things listed right there. And so it is that when you see the word curse, it is not limited to disease, but it is not exclusive from disease. Disease in the Bible is referred to as a curse. And what did we learn from Solomon? The curse without a cause will never come. Every disease has a cause. You understand that? God wanted us to understand that. Every disease has a cause. So when we understand that, well, then what's the cause? So let's go ahead and let's look at it. When we think about biblical causes for disease, it's as a result of a violation of what we call spiritual law. Go to the book of Numbers chapter 12. Let's study this. Numbers chapter 12. Cause for disease. Numbers, we're going to the 12th chapter. And we're going to move a bit quickly. Numbers chapter 12. I like this story. It, it educates us. And we are called to be educators. In the Bible, the Bible tells us a story. Miriam and Aaron are speaking negatively about Moses. God catches wind of this, and God wants to do something about it. So let's watch what God does. In Numbers 12, starting at verse 5, picking up in the story. And the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forth. And he said, hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision or will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. And the cloud departed from off the tabernacle, and behold, Miriam became what? Miriam became leprous, white as snow, and Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. Question, is leprosy a real disease? Leprosy is a real disease, yes? Well, let's find out why this took place with Miriam. Verse 11. It says in verse 11, and Aaron said unto Moses, alas, my Lord, I beseech thee, lay not the sin upon us, wherein we have done foolishly, and wherein we have... So according to the verse, what was the cause for her leprosy? Sin. Jesus meets a man sick 38 years by the pool of Bethesda. Jesus sees him in John 5. I have that text up there. You can write this as some of your side notes. And Jesus sees the man in John 5. And when he sees him, he's sick 38 years. You want to get well? The man says, well, I try to, but you know, you that story. Everybody gets into the pool before me. And I'm always the last one to get in. I miss the blessing. Jesus bypasses all of that. He says, get up. Take up your mat, start walking. He starts walking. He acts on the word and starts walking. When he starts walking, he eventually goes and the Pharisees see him holding on to his mat and they tell him, you shouldn't be doing this, it's Sabbath, etc. But 
Later on, he comes in contact with the one who healed him, Jesus. Jesus says, you are whole now, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. When the disciples saw a man born blind, master, whose sin was it? It was understood that sin causes disease. Now, I love to ask people this. We know that sin is the breaking of God's Ten Commandments. Is that right? Yes. I always like to ask people, how many times do you go to your doctor and your doctor inquires, how is your walk with God and how are you doing in keeping his commandments? You ever had somebody ask you that? We're not going to hear that. You know what I'm saying? At least since the past. But from this day forward, things are going to be different. Amen? God wanted us always to understand that when somebody comes in and they say, I got itches or I got this or I got that. And sometimes we say, well, we don't know exactly from our book standpoint. We don't know according to our medical books. Well, God says, okay. But God says, didn't I give you something more? Didn't I give you something a little bit more that you can consider as well? Yes. What is it that we can consider? His law. Is your life in harmony with the law of God? Because sin, the violation of God's law, brings on disease. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? So watch this. Started looking at some practical examples. Sexually transmitted diseases, right? So you got just a ton of them. Look at this stuff. I mean, you know, some of these things, I had to open up my books again. You know, I'm an uneducated fisherman. I got to look up some of these words here and just try to figure it out. Like, what in the world is this talking about? But look, look at all of that. Sexually, tran sexually transmitted diseases, right? You look at all of this stuff. Now, here it is. You got this list of sexually transmitted diseases that people are suffering with to date. When you look at just the HPV alone, that's one of the reasons why people end up with the colorectal cancer and, and others. And here it is that when you look at all this stuff, God is there and just showing us, hey, did you know if people would just simply follow, thou shalt not commit adultery? Those diseases wouldn't even be a discussion. There wouldn't be anybody raping anyone. There wouldn't be any illicit sex. It would only be husband and wife, and that would be it. Everything would be according to the word of God. When God gave his commandments, there were practical applications that it could protect us from disease. You understand that? But wait a minute. What's commandment number eight? Commandment number eight is thou shalt not steal. Okay? Now, look, y'all supposed to know that. Come on, family. Commandment number eight, thou shalt not steal. So one day God says this. Don't you know your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you, can y'all finish it with me? You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. So our bodies are not our own. Is that right? So because our bodies are not our own, whatever I do with my body, I must first get permission of the owner. And if I take my body and just feed it what I want and do what I want and exercise it how I want without getting instruction, yea, permission from the owner. When you take something that belongs to somebody else that they purchase with a very, very expensive price and we use it any way we want to. What is that called today? That's called stealing. And the Bible says, thou shalt not steal. You see, my friends, it's not enough that we violate moral law and this can bring on disease. But we have to also understand that it also can include violating what we call physical law. When you violate God's physical laws, you can also bring on sickness and disease. If I was preaching right now and all of a sudden you just see me just hold my stomach kind of stuttering on my words, and then all of a sudden I just, and I just vomit right here on top of this pulpit. How many of you would probably say, oh my, Brother Lemon must be sick? Would you agree? Would you, would you probably say something like that? He must be sick. So the vomiting would be an indicator that I'm sick. Do you know Proverbs 24 and verse 13? How many of you are vegans? Well, Proverbs 24, 13 says, my son... Eat thou honey because it's good. So does God endorse eating honey? Why did he tell us to eat honey? Eat honey because it's 
Good. Did you know that vegans don't eat honey? According, according to their principles of veganism, it, depending on how deep they take it, they don't do honey. That's why if you go to a vegan organization, can I have a honey? Oh, we have agave, but we don't have honey. We have cane sugar. In other words, they, they, they don't want to do anything that deals with the animal kingdom. You understand that? So that's just unfortunately one of those realities. But the Bible says, eat honey because it's good. So can we eat honey? Sure we can. God said it's good. But then you go over one chapter, Proverbs 25, 16. When you go to Proverbs 25, 16, the Bible says, Hast thou found honey? Eat so much as is sufficient for you, lest you be filled with it and vomit. So notice, we can eat that which is good. But if we eat too much of it and then get filled with it, it can cause an adverse reaction in our system that can make us sick and then we'll vomit. God was showing principles in his word that he has physical laws. And when those physical laws are violated, it brings on disease. If you don't get enough sunlight, if you don't get enough water, if you're not exercising, if you're not getting your proper rest, does it not bring on sickness and disease? Yes, it does. Did you know that even when you look at uh, Jesus, our example, Jesus himself is our example. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. He is our example. My brothers and sisters, when you look at the laws of health, did you know that Jesus followed them wonderfully? I started studying this. I literally was looking in the Bible. Hebrews 10, 5. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. A body. So I started looking at it. Jesus lived as a human being. He needed what we as human beings need every day to live. Did he live out the laws of health? The Bible shows it very clearly, actually. It's just that sometimes we don't see it. Did you know Jesus had godly trust? Jesus breathed in open air. Jesus got in daily exercise. Jesus literally received plenty of sunshine. Jesus got proper rest. Jesus drank water. Jesus was always temperate. And Jesus ate food that was nutritious. Did you know that? Jesus literally lived out the very laws of health that we teach other people, and he's our example. You see, when we teach people the word, we are meeting sick sinners so we can show them how to be like the Savior. Remember my brother? He was the, uh, I believe, psychiatrist or psychologist, and he talked about the goal is to be Christ-like. When he was talking about that, Christ-like, Christ-like. Well, this is what Christ was like. He lived his message. We must live our message. Look at this. Watch this. The offerings presented to the Lord were to be without blemish. These offerings represented Christ, and from this it is evident that Jesus himself was free from physical deformity. It says he was the lamb without blemish and without spot. His physical structure was not marred by any defect. His body was strong and what's that next word? healthy. It says, and throughout his lifetime, he lived in conformity to nature's laws. Physically, as well as spiritually, he was an example of what God designed all humanity to be through obedience to his laws. So literally, when people get sick, we can't just simply say, are you getting enough sunshine? Are you getting enough rest? We need to learn how to talk to people sometimes and see if their lives are in harmony with God and his commandments. I can almost think, I can almost read what you're thinking. How can I do that in my practice? How can I do that under the hospital structure that I'm in? That's why you do not want to miss tomorrow's study. <laughs> Same time this morning. You don't want to miss tomorrow's study. Tomorrow's study, we're going to address, how do we do this? Considering all the red tape a lot of us have to go through. But you must understand, it's going to shake some of us up. God wants us to understand, family, that disease is something he wants us to help people know that they can overcome it. But my time is up, so I got to go ahead and go through these final points. Look at this. And the very God of peace sanctify you how? Holy. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and what else? Body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that God says, I want you to be sound, perfection, not just in a spiritual context, but he says, I want your body to be that as well. Is this possible? 
Do you believe it? Did the word of God say it? Is it consistent in the word? So the question is, do you really believe it? Do you, re- you remember, if we don't believe it, if we don't trust that word, we can't do much. Either to please him or get the highest benefit God wants to give us. Those who act as teachers are to be intelligent in regard to disease and its causes, understanding that every action of the human agent should be in perfect harmony with the laws of life. Call to medical evangelism, page 32. And therefore, when we think about disease, here goes the close. Disease is an effort of nature to free the system from conditions that result from a violation of the laws of health. This is God's inspired definition of disease. This is what we are called to articulate to those who know it not. And therefore, my appeal is very, very simple. Are you willing to educate yourself, students, and patients on the true understanding of disease and its causes according to the word of God? That's the appeal. And the reason I make this family is because of this. We will have conference after conference. We will have meeting after meeting, gathering after gathering. And there's something I've learned about God. Sooner or later, God is going to get what he wants. God will not change his word for any of us. I don't know about you, but it hurts when you see somebody come in. And I know you've had patients like this. They come in and their blood work, fine. You do CT scans to MRIs, fine. You check them from head to toe with the latest of our technological advancements, fine. And here it is, they're like, but I'm hurting and something's wrong. And can you imagine, we actually tell them, I can't help you any further. I don't know what else to do. When all along God says, show them. Show them my law. You're my medical missionary. You're not just a medical practitioner. You see, medical practitioners cannot teach what we're studying. But medical missionaries can. God says, show them my law. Help them understand it. Create an environment that the people can understand these things. Because I don't know about you, but I say this in closing. True story from a fisherman. Sat down with a lady. She had hypertension. She said, I'm exercising. I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And she started going through the list of all these different things. She said, but yet my hypertension is just out of control. I said, okay. Um, how long ago did you get your hypertension? She said, I had it from 10 years. I said, well, what happened 10 years ago? She said, my husband left me for another woman. I said, aha. I said, okay. Um, How do you feel about that? I mean, are you okay today? Have you forgiven him? She said, no way. I don't forgive that loser. And, you know, she just started going down and just tearing the guy apart. Okay. I said, well, um, sister, if you're not willing to let God give you forgiveness towards him, then the Bible makes it clear, if you will not forgive, then God can't forgive you. Forgiveness is usually how Jesus begins working his healing work. Showed us some verses on that. She said, well, how can I forgive him? I said, well, it's very simple. I said, let's consider what he did, because that's what's causing you to not forgive him. Right. So we wrote down several things that he did that was wrong. Then we, I said, now what I want you to do is I want you to make a list of everything you've done wrong to God. What? I said, yeah. I said, you got this one pager here that's pretty filled out about what he did wrong to you, so you have a good memory. Why don't you go ahead and remember? Why don't you go ahead and tell me and remember all the things you did wrong to God? Brother Lemon, that would be an endless book. I said, I would agree. So here's my point. Between you and your ex-husband, who is the greater offender? She hung her head down. I am. I said, I would agree. 
So that means your husband is the lesser offender, even though what he did was wrong. But he's the lesser offender when you compare it to yours. Yes. I said, what do you want God to do with you, considering you're the greater offender? Oh, I wanted to forgive me. Have mercy on me. I said, then what should you do with the lesser offender? She said, I see your point. How? I said, let's go to God and let's acknowledge our sins, our unforgiveness, and all these things. Let's make a clean slate with you and the Lord and let him love your ex-husband through you. Would you be willing to do that? Yes. She prayed. She did it. She said, wow. She said, you know, I feel so much better. She says, I've really let this thing go. Followed up a couple of weeks later. Brother Lemon, you won't believe it. I said, dude, what's up? What's going on? She said, my blood pressure is 116 over 75. Are you serious? Yes. Months later, perfect blood pressure. Perfect blood pressure. It was a spiritual work. It was a spiritual work, family. What a lot of people don't understand is literally harboring unforgiveness. Practicing self-abuse and masturbation. Continuing to violate God's law literally can bring on disease in the body. The problem is that some of us have become too intelligent to understand such a simple truth. And what God wants to do is bring us back to his blueprint of the simplicity of his words. Bring the people back to God's law. Let them see the need that their lives are in harmony with his moral and his physical laws. And I believe with all of my heart, the Lord will bless your modalities a whole lot better. And we might see a whole lot more people healed from their diseases than even our minds can understand or comprehend. And so I really mean it when I make this appeal. Are you willing? It may not be for everybody in this room. I respect wherever a man or woman is. But if there's even one who's hearing God's voice, it's imperative you harden not your heart. Are you willing to educate yourself, your students, your patients, on the true understanding of disease and its causes according to the word of God? I know we might say, how do I do that? We'll cover it. But are you willing to say, Lord, show me how? If you're willing to do this, I'm inviting you to stand to your feet that we have a word of prayer. If you're willing, if you're willing, like our dear sister yesterday, you had a young woman stand before you, going against the grain, being willing to lose all, that she might not compromise God nor his truth. She was a witness to us, family. She was a witness. God can give you such courage as well. Let us pray. Loving Father, we are so thankful, Lord. Thank you so much that we have the privilege to trust you. We recognize that sometimes it'll change the way we work. It might challenge us in various ways. It'll require us to go backwards in education that we might go forward in true education. Lord, I pray that you would do a miracle in the heart of every sincere soul that has taken their stand, that they, by your grace, will work as Jesus worked. And I pray, Lord, that we might see the results that Jesus saw even greater than that which we have seen. But most importantly, we can have that peace within our hearts knowing that we are pleasing you. Please, Lord, let this be our goal. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.